This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your afternoon playlist, State Farm knows you personalize your entire day. And that's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with the State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. Over 25 years ago, on September 29, 1998, we watched a brainy girl with curly hair drop everything to follow a guy she only kind of knew all the way to college. And so began Felicity. My name is Juliette Littman, and I'm a Felicity superfan. Join me, Amanda Foreman, who you may know better as Megan, the roommate, and Greg Grunberg, who you may also know as Sean Blunberg, as the three of us revisit our favorite moments from the show and talk to the people who helped shape it. Listen to Dear Felicity, presented by Walmart on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, welcome, welcome to F1 with DRS. I am DRS. I'm joined by MC, CC, and JB. Um, a peek behind the curtain. Uh, for us to sync our audio and our video, it requires a clap. And requires this clap. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie has been designated for whatever, well, self-designated, I guess, oh, yeah. is the official clapper. Mm. I was quick on the trigger at the beginning, and I think now I've just taken yeah. over. Well, it left, two episodes it left Matt and I uh, in a bit of a quandary because mm. you were gone. And then it was like, well, who's, who's going to fill this power clap. void? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, Matt, you got it. Yeah, I got a clap. It was maybe one of the best claps of the season. <laughs> Some people are saying Real loud. <laughs> yeah, <so. laughs> the rumors, the rumors in the paddock. He's been practicing on a sim at home over <laughs> again, just in I case. He puts so happens. many miles of clapping. <laughs> he puts on sim gloves and then claps the air, but yeah. makes the clap. <laughs> I actually bought a pair of sim gloves because I thought it could help. Because all these people online I saw, they're really racing gloves. Okay. And I tried them. It didn't feel good. And... All I've used them for is when I carried my Christmas tree from my car in so I didn't get sap on my hands. And I got to I, say, I was nervous for you when we were at Atia's house because he has, he was wearing a racing suit. Yes. He was wearing. What? Racing shoes. Racing shoes. He was yeah, wearing no. a helmet mm-hmm. and he was wearing gloves. And I thought, oh boy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, Matt. I am upgrading my SIM setup this week. I am oh, you going are? for a big upgraded because we have the Logitech G29 setups, which are like the cheapest, best setups. And then I'm now. Going to direct drive, which apparently gives a more realistic feel. It's got its own motor in it. Oh, okay. Um, so Logitech. I wanted to go to an F1 racing wheel, but they get really expensive, and most of the European companies are not compatible. But Logitech has this, like, GT wheel, because now I'm really into racing just normal cars on Gran Turismo. Yeah. That's why I asked Here's you Here's my input. Yeah. I feel like you're going to keep spending small amounts of money. Mm-hmm. So right now, I think you just... Rip the bandit off and go all in. On well, my, this is this, this is. is it. Yeah, this is it's a. Uh, You'll be sitting in a cage and just, it'll be moving around. Just the wheel is because I did a manual upgrade on my brake system, so I <laughs> took the whole thing apart and spent four hours. It was the most intricate thing I've ever done in my life, but it worked. Then the wheel is about a thousand dollars for this this wheel setup. The steering just wheel, the steering yeah, wheel. Yeah, okay, and all the wow. other wheel setups like a direct drive motor. Is, uh, you have to buy it separately. That's about. 
$600 for top of the line and then yeah. the wheels you can replace. So you could get, they sell a wheel for every car that you want to drive. Right. So you could have vintage wheels, everything, and then you buy the wheels and usually the Formula One wheel is about $700. Yeah. So it's, I'm kind of there. You're circling this phenomena that exists heavily in teenage car ownership, which is you cannot afford to buy the right car. So you buy the car you didn't want and then you spend far more money trying to, to upgrade it. Yeah. You get a cold air box in it and a K&N filter and then you get exhaust yeah. and then you're looking at forced induction and then all of a sudden you look up and you're like, could have just bought the V8 Mustang at this That's point. That's what I did yep. with my first Harley. Yeah, I bought it for $13,000 Canadian and I for sure put in $13,000 in it. <laughs> right. And I will probably sell it for $5,000. For $1,300. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you still had a Harley at the end of it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. now that's the right thing about upgrading the Harley. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. I still think it sounds better than anything in the world. It it's, does. Unless you don't, unless you drive off a stock Harley off the lot, you realize quickly that you must put on pipes new pipes immediately yeah. or you're so i was so depressed driving that harley off i was like i did not know this that's another free tip <sighs> yes if you're gonna buy a harley get the exhaust done before you drive it home because <sighs> you're gonna have the the biggest buyer's remorse yeah. when you drive home it's like, oh and you're like wait, wait wait a minute a why did we get it's slower it doesn't stop as good and it sounds like this what what yeah. do we do it's all about the sound yeah that's really it okay so this is gonna be a fun episode of some gossip because despite the season being over the gossip and the pulp has not stopped if anything maybe it's picked up some mm, momentum yeah. um, and then we're going to do a fun exploration of some remaining zaddies and then we're going to go through the history of advertising in formula one and then uh i think next episode we're going to have to fork over some money unless robbie yeah. already tallied that but maybe next episode okay. we'll come together and we'll bring some cash and we'll have a little cash Bacnalia. Um, so let's start out with some uh, pulp from the paddock. Okay. So uh, a lot of this stuff we'll post on our social media so you can see if you don't know the video. But there was one with um, Yuki got to meet his absolute idol at the end of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Uh, Jason Statham is his biggest idol. That's his guy. Yep. Uh -huh. And if, funny enough, his phone, like if you airdrop Yuki, it says Jason's son. Because he just wants to be Jason's son. So he met him, and it was the cutest thing ever. Because we see a lot of F1 drivers meet their hero or, like, a lot of big celebrities, and yeah. they're kind of trying to be cool. Yuki was not cool. Oh, he was, good. like, a little child meeting his idol, and it was the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. I bet Jason Statham enjoyed it, too, because Statham is a beast. The, the all respect is due to him. But he's a shorter dude. Mm. And so for him to be towering over Yuki as a legend, it's probably, you know, he probably really felt like the way Yuki sees him. Yeah, their height was similar. <laughs> oh, it was, yeah, yeah, oh, it, was it didn't comparable. look that that different. <laughs> okay. um, yeah. <laughs> no, come on. Yuki's I love that like, we can. Can we even still height shame? I'm like, first, I'm grateful we can still height shame, but now I'm also imagining we're probably behind the curve and you can't. I think height is a different thing because I have a friend who's 6'8, and he's like, I don't like it because every time I go somewhere, people look at him and they're like, Oh, you're a basketball player, right? And it's right. like people always well, address his height, and he's like, If I had any other body type or something, you couldn't say it. Yeah. But yet you're like, Almost addressing me like a freak because I'm so tall. Well, also there's this there's a weird subtext that when you see a guy who's six eight and you ask if he plays basketball and he doesn't or hasn't, you go, well, he's lazy because yeah. he coulda, 
He yeah. should have. <laughs> like, you know, I imagine those six, eight guys who say no, they've never picked up a ball. They feel a little bit like the other person thinks they're lazy. I would just say, oh, I hit my growth spurt in my 20s. Like, oh, it was that's too how late. you would get. Yeah. Like, I, 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 was, I missed the, I missed the, the window. Yeah. 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 We got some big switch up, and it's going to lead into a later advertising. McLaren is now sponsored by Monster. Monster, Monster pulled, Energy Monster drink. pulled out of Mercedes. And is now with McLaren. Mm-mm. However, Lewis still has his own sponsorship with Monster, which is staying. But they pulled out. So I wonder if they're like, they're seeing the writing on the wall. And they're like, maybe Mercedes is going to do a bit better. And they're trying to jump on that wagon. I don't know. Uh, so that's a very viable theory. Mm-hmm. It is also possible that that level of brand partnership went up in value to a level that Mercedes thinks it's worth, yeah. you know, $190 million totally. commitment, and McLaren thinks it's a 140 mm-hmm. And they've been watching TV, and they realize the McLarens, <laughs> you see a lot yeah. of the McLarens. Mercedes is a weirdly corporate look and feel to it as well. As a t- McLaren feels fresher and Lando's... Younger. Cheeky and younger, and he's he's just seems a little bit like he's enjoying himself more. There's a There's definitely been an air of depression around. When was the last time you saw any Mercedes person smile? It's kind of cool that Lando can't win. So if you're a sponsor, it's kind of cool too. He just can't win a race. It's great. (laughs) You like that? That's part of the appeal for you. Well, also, if you think about it this way, you're getting out two for one because Lewis is already a monster athlete, like a Red Bull athlete. And that's all I think of. They might be, Mercedes might be sponsored, but I just think of Lewis. He's a monster like, athlete. Yeah. Yeah. So so they already right. have that. Yeah. He has his own personal individual contract, has nothing to do with yeah. uh, whatever Mercedes is paying. But you're right, Jethro. Right. They probably also were like, this was never a great demographic fit because it's a youth product and you have one of the older drivers second oldest driver on the grid is the lead driver in a legacy brand that represents old rich people yeah literally the oldest car company in the world basically yeah Yeah, mercedes and monster don't seem to mix mercedes and champagne or something yeah (laughs) Yeah, they should have like a great profound sponsor (laughs) uh, caviar caviar a lot a yacht maker maybe Yeah, a Russian oligarch of some sort. Yeah, yeah, one of those. I will say, we've yet to be invited to Mercedes. No. no, We've kind of dipped our head in um, almost all the little teams. And they also invite, like, just, you got to be A-list. A-list. To to land in the garage at McLaren. Was that what Sean was in there when we were in Vegas? Yeah. He in and out of Mercedes. He's kind of the anomaly, though. Yeah, we well, like us, but yeah, because like normally, it's even like your A list, A plus, but like also have a weird kind of recluse vibe. Like you're not seen anywhere, but you're seen in the. He's got it all because he's got the street cred that we think he's just a regular dude, yeah. and he like let's just remind people that when we had when Red Bull lent us the RB18 to yeah. have at the house during one of the races, which was so fun. That cool. He happened to come over for that race, and he looked at it, and his very first thing he said, and it was sincere, is he's like, "Oh man, I would have had to have towed this up to the top of Mulholland and just drove it down." I know it doesn't have a motor, but like that's <laughs> yeah. immediate. His first thought when looking at it wasn't like, "Oh cool, you have this in your driveway." He was like. This is the ultimate soapbox derby car, yeah. and we need to get it down a steep yeah. hill. Yeah. So he's got, like, that cred, and then yet, it doesn't matter who you put in that Mercedes room, Sean White walks in, people are like, oh, damn, Sean yep. White's that's, yeah. yeah, that's a legend. Yeah, he's kind of crushing. Yeah. Yeah, when we were there with McLaren, me and I think it was me and Jethro were up at the top, and 
we were with them the night before and then we're looking down and we see Sean getting interviewed by Brundle. Mm. And it was like the coolest moment. I'm like zooming in, taking a picture, <laughs> sending it to <laughs> Nina being like, he's having the most legendary interview of his life right now. He's, he's been interviewed a lot of times, but to me, that's the most legendary interview. Yeah. Oh, Brundle. Oh, Brundle. I hope we talk to Brundle. Yeah. One of these days, it's got to happen. Yeah. We'll get him. We'll yeah, get him, I'm sure. Will. I I believe it. Be a real awkward and contentious. Uh, it's got to be Brundle-esque. Anything less would be a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you need to interview him, but just not have any questions for him. Not really know what he does. <laughs> just a lot of requests of different <laughs> yeah. um, instruments I want him to play in the air. <laughs> yeah. So what do you do? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> I know you don't want to air piano, but can you air drum? That's kind of easy. Use a hi-hat and snare. We can do that, right? <laughs> um, Alfa Romeo was selling one of their show cars. There was an online auction. I think it ends today. And the current bid was at $99,000. That clearly doesn't have a mo- It's just a shell. Like, what was that? I, think, that was I, at I, our I guess house? I can't. Yeah, it's probably similar to what that is. What do you think? Do you think that's worth it? Ninety-nine. Is that too little or too much? Doesn't seem like very much. No. You only got, there's so many ways to think about sure it. One is like it. you compare that to what you could buy for $100,000 in the way of a used car. And boy, there's some insanely great options for a hundred grand used. Yeah. So it's like, do you want a functional, cool collector's car you've always wanted? Or do you want this <laughs> this model, this large model in your I think house? it was the Vegas livery, which is oh. a really cool livery. I mean, look, I would not not want it. No. Yeah. I, I would somehow want it in my backyard. Yeah. Yeah. You look in the backyard. It's just sitting in the grass. Maybe like stuck into the lawn. Oh, vertical. Up, yeah, yeah, vertical. Oh, that could be sexy. Just well, plant a big steel pole. Yeah. And then yeah. sit it upright. Hamilton's uh, WO4, so his 2013 car that won the Hungarian Grand Prix, just sold for $18.8 million. So maybe the show car is not such bad value. Yeah, that's pretty good. I, you know what would be great is to get the show car and then just wedge an LS motor in the back of it and try to actually get <laughs> LS three <swat>. going. <laughs> yeah, LT4 back there at a 10-speed and see, take it to the track. Awesome. <laughs> the whole that back end would be flying all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> LS, big block, LSX. Do we know who bought that Mercedes or is it is it anonymous? No, I think it's, I think it's anonymous. There's several. Do you know what? Old F1 cars used to be cheap. That's the funny thing. No one wanted them because once they were done, they were done. They were they were history and you couldn't use them. You couldn't race them anywhere. But then Ferrari got the clever idea of selling their old F1 cars to rich clients, supporting them, looking after them, putting on special track events. And now suddenly they're worth a fortune. So, yeah, it used to be that they were relatively cheap, but now they're... If they're significant, they're, you know, several million dollars. Well, that's what Atia was saying. There was like this really bifurcated cutoff pre-hybrid uh, system. Those cars were worth a ton. But then once it got so high tech in the hybrid era, no one can take it to the track and drive it with less than nine people. They went down in value, but apparently they've, they've sprung back up. Uh, on that note, I don't know what I was watching a clip of, but it must have been on Instagram, but they were going through the Schumacher, his own little museum. Have you guys seen that? Oh, my God. There's like 20 Ferrari. Like, he owns yeah. so many Ferrari Formula One cars. It's crazy. And then, you know, oodles of other $3 million plus dollar cars. I mean, it's got to be a couple hundred million dollar car collection in this it's so wild. It's madness. Yeah, he was a dude. He was a dude. Um, so Alfa Romeo also, I don't know if it was confirmed or a strong rumor, 
they're not returning to F1. There were rumors of them going to Haas, um, but now they are going to be going into the World Endurance Championship and sponsoring a, being the title sponsor of a car there. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think they're actually going to build their own car. Yeah. yeah. So the, that's the thing I do, the World Endurance Championship and the hypercar class is this new class that everyone's coming back into, BMW, Honda, Lamborghini, Ferrari, you name it. And uh, it sounds like Alfa are coming back too. Maybe they'll do a tie-up with Peugeot, who are already back, yeah. um, because they're part of the same umbrella group. So, yeah, but it, it's cool, but it's a shame. There's a lot of good F1 drivers going into <laughs> WEC. There's, like, buttons coming in. Yeah, uh, Vettel, they're talking about coming in. Mm-hmm. Robert Kubica, an ex-F1 driver who's already in it. There's there's some real good drivers going in. Oh, Nick DeVries. For the record, uh, you say Vettel, not Vettel. Vettel. I don't know. I, I'm confused I say now, I watched that. I say Vettel. But then I watched that Braun documentary and there was about nine different pronunciations. Mm-hmm. But it, it had to have gotten correct over time, right? Like when we when he was racing last season, two seasons ago, they were saying Vettel. Okay, it's Vettel. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. Nick DeVries popped up, funnily enough, in World Endurance Championship. Yep, yep. He's going to Toyota next year. Yeah, oh, good exactly. for him. He's doing that. Then also we had uh, Max said that he wants to do World Endurance with Alonzo. So they want to do it together. So who knows when that's going to be. But Alonzo said the only way he'll do it again is if Max is in the car. So they that will be, I'm sure, get a lot of more eyes on World Endurance. I love them for some reason together. Maybe that's teasing. They're 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 both the guys with like the, they never really bent their personality to suit the publicity requirements. And now they're like bonded together. Yeah. I don't, in their fierceness. I kind of love it. Who's the Brazilian driver that was in the Braun documentary? The other one? Felipe Massa. Yes. He's going to be also in World Endurance Championship next year. Oh, is he really? And Valentino Rossi. Rossi's coming in. Yeah. Oh, he is? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, might have to, yeah. I might have to add this to the DVR. Shout out oh, to the MotoGP. Talk about, we were saying last. Yeah, big move. We were saying last episode that, that F1's got to do something to make it more competitive. I'll just say MotoGP, after a little bit of stagnation, the, the season this year was like decided in the last race. You know, one guy going for everything, crashing. It was uh, an incredible season. So if anyone's bored and wants to get into another form of racing that doesn't get better than and there was a big switch of uh one of the top drivers leaving honda and going to mark marquez who so valentino rossi is uh it would be more accurate to say michael jordan is the valentino rossi of basketball he is the ultimate winning champion the best guy to ever do it by such a, a margin but only second to him is is mark marquez who was his main rival when he was competitive at the end and he is Mark Marquez flew off his motorcycle, broke his femur in half, and he was back nine races later and crashed again, oh and God. he's crashed again. He's probably crashed 30 times since he broke his femur in half, and he he's not slowing down. He does not care at all, and he's been on a shit team, and now, yeah, he's going to be with Ducati next season. So he's been out in the woods for three years, but he is a Valentino-esque character mm-hmm. who's now going to have an, a legit shot. So, yeah, yeah. next season's going to be incredible. That's exciting. The new race schedule came out for next year already, and – Qatar has now been moved to, I think it's like the second last race. It's right. It's in between Vegas and Abu Dhabi because of the weather situation. But now the FIA has said on those hot races, the teams must run cooling equipments. So oh, good. I don't know what that is. Probably vests or s- different race suits, but that obviously makes sense. Yeah, that they have whole happen. cooling suits. Yeah. Or the, yeah, little 
little membrane inside mm-hmm. with water passing around. Yeah. And then there are now talks that Michael Massey, who was the one who made the decision with Red Bull and Mercedes a couple of years ago that caused Max to oh, win. The, the controversial. Yes. He is now hiding in Switzerland. No, he is book. now the the guy who's in charge of the FIA is ta- said that if he finds a role for him, he's going to bring him back. Oh, because he had been let go. Isn't that just because the guy who's head of the FIA is in a bit of a fight with FOM, isn't he? So yeah. it's it's almost like he's just saying that to wind up Toto or something. Probably. They, they, they hate each other, I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly what it is. We also had Max last year made, this past year, made $70 million. It was $40 million in his contract Base for one year. salary. Then it was $25 million in, uh, that's bonuses. just bonuses. So bonuses, we're not even right. talking endorsements. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it was something a lot more. That was just his racing. Yeah, that's racing alone. 70 mil. So he's bonuses. probably close to 100, 100 or more probably. Oh, oh, yeah. Good for him. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. DTF. Yeah. DTF. Then we also had Jethro pointed out in our group chat yesterday that this is the first time in history that the driver lineup has stayed the same from one season to the next. Oh, really? First time ever. In the whole history. Yeah. Maybe that's why they re-signed Sergeant, just for the record to, books. Yeah. yeah they They're were all like, about records this year. It's the only way, the only way that <laughs> Williams could, could get their name in, in a record, record books yeah, for yeah. 2024. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know... Again, lots of well wishes to many of the drivers, but there is some, I'm a little irritated because the premise is the premise. The premise is these are the 20 best drivers in the world from any discipline. These are the 20 best drivers in the world. And we all know that really these are 17 of the best drivers in the world. And I don't love that. Yeah. I'm very curious. I feel like they should have like a preseason where they let, all these other people try. Well, like Joseph like, Newgarden, is that his name? The, yeah. The, that, I'm sure he's better than Who's uh, the Sergeant. Aston Martin. Drogovic? Or yeah, Drogovic. Drogovic. He did better than Stroll um, when all of those rookies did Were in practice. Granted, yeah. it was just a practice. But, like, yeah. it'd be fun if they did maybe three or four races or, or sessions yeah. before the season so we could actually see. Yeah, I want him to kind of beat the alternative drivers in some tests Well, least. they did. I think it was Doohan beat all the all the drivers that did testing the day or two after Abu Dhabi. Oh, really? It was one of the rookie the rookie drivers that's not an F1 that did better. And, like, Albon was in there. There was a lot of drivers that also did the testing, but a lot of rookies were in there, and it was a rookie that had the best time. Wow. So who knows what the setup of the car is or what the goals of the teams are trying to get out of that testing day. They might not be caring about fastest lap but yeah the problem is there's no testing i think back in the day they tested so they had and it cost a lot of money and it was probably too much because they tested all the time they literally had an entire team just who mirrored the f1 team who just went around the world testing but it means young drivers did hundreds of laps thousands of laps a year and they could tell whether it was like a flash in the pan or whether they were consistent what their feedback was like if they could develop the car and now they're not really incentivized to put a new kid in because if there's someone who wins F2, but they've only driven an F1 car once or twice for 20 laps or something, they can't really tell what they're like. So unless they're a proper superstar, Leclerc, Verstappen, whatever, it's very hard for them to make the jump up, I think. You're right, because even like when we think about the Horner interview, how well he was doing until he got to the moment in F2. And it's like that leap forward exposed for him. Okay, well, I actually don't have what it takes for an eighth gear right hander at Silverstone or whatever it is. 
And I think, yes, that's still unknown. The gap from F2 to F3 is substantial enough that you might run out of aggression or, or fearlessness at that stage. And even, yeah, and even IndyCar to F1, you would think it would be pretty easy to make the jump over. But McLaren have tested Pato Ward several times. And there's been a whole history of people coming from IndyCar or testing from IndyCar and just not making the cut. So it's really tricky to make the jump now. And and I think just some testing might help. Maybe save some money elsewhere out of the budget cap with mm. wind tunnel or whatever and actually have some physical cars on the ground. Yeah. yeah. That is the one great thing about MotoGP is it's just much more democratized. You yeah. know, the, the gaps aren't as big. Starting order is not as big. Like, you know, it's much more rider in that yeah. sport than it is driver and F1, you know? Well, and they can wreck them all they want and just replace those bikes. Oh, They're not... They do. Yeah. <laughs> These guys yeah. are averaging, like, they crash half of the races of yeah. the season. It's just nuts. Well, as opposed to the first time all the drivers staying the same, next year, 14 out of the 20 contracts will expire at the end of next year. So then we could have a huge shakeup and maybe... That could make 2025 very exciting. Yeah. Should we just skip 2024? And yeah, let's just, yeah, let's okay. just skip it. Go into hibernation mode, yeah. cryogenically freeze yeah. until. <laughs> um, I found out Max set up a full sim racing rig on his private jet. Oh, so everywhere he flies, GM. he is literally up thousands of feet in the sky on that sim rig. And it was also interesting. And probably no one else is allowed to use the Wi-Fi so that he has enough data yeah. streaming to operate the sim. Yeah, but then in that same thing, in an interview I saw with Lewis, <laughs> Lewis hates the sim. Lewis does the sim as minimal time as possible. So it's very interesting seeing those two dynamics where he's putting it on his private jet and Lewis would prefer to never sim. Yeah, I think it's an age thing. It's yeah. even why you love it. And I'm like, nah. Yeah, I'm so much younger I'm too than old. You, you are. Yeah. You're 100 years younger. <laughs> is it possible Max is a virgin? <laughs> like, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> he, he's literally flying between races in his own private jet. <laughs> And he fills his time. With a supermodel. With, yeah, he's got a supermodel on the plane with him. <laughs> fucking playing the same. Like, come on, son. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make some time for something else. Something else. Uh, Just one of You're going to win the races anyway. Like, d do something else. It might be the only thing that's preventing him from having a bona fide drinking problem, though. We should also consider that it, it, it might distract him just enough. And if he wasn't oh, yeah. doing that, he'd be hitting the gym. Oh, yeah. In <laughs> Vegas, I saw a video of him, like Martin Garrix. They were, like, at a DJ party after the race. And, like, you see him. You know that face. When you see that <laughs> face of someone who's had too many drinks and is just, like, probably real wild. Like, I think Max is that guy that you're around yeah. that you're, like... I think we're going to get in a fight tonight. I think he is going to say something wrong to someone. Did yeah. you see the video in Vegas where he was doing the Checo chant? Yeah, that, that was, was him the at, the, one, at yeah. the bar and doing yeah. a Checo he, chant. He was, like, was like teasing he him and he was few, going into it. a few back, yeah. He seems like he, you'd be out with him and then you would be able to know whether he was on eight or 11 drinks by how much Dutch is now getting interspersed with the bro yeah, English. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine that eventually you just would not be able to communicate yeah. with him. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting because so many people do hate on Max and it's that same thing that we always talk about. Everyone that we talk to is like, Max is a great Dude, he yeah, just doesn't care. Him. You know, he's just a little, seems a little cold, but when you get to know him, he's fantastic. And I think he's a shy, sweet boy. Shy, sweet boy. Stay tuned for more F1 with DRS. Over 25 years ago, on September 29th, 1998, we watched a brainy girl with curly hair drop everything to follow a guy she only kind of knew all the way to college. And so began Felicity. 
My name is Juliette Littman, and I'm a Felicity superfan. Join me, Amanda Foreman, who you may know better as Megan, the roommate, and Greg Grunberg, who you may also know as Sean Blunberg, as the three of us revisit our favorite moments from the show and talk to the people who help shape it. Listen to Dear Felicity, presented by Walmart on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Introducing Batiste's wet activated and touch activated dry shampoo. With breakthrough technology that absorbs oil and releases bursts of fragrance whenever you sweat or touch your hair for up to 24 hours, it's the ultimate hair care for girls on the go. Try the newest dry shampoo that's activated by you. Batiste, the future of hair care is here. Buy Batiste dry shampoo online or in store at your nearest retailer. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, we got a big wolf family drama going on right now. Oh, um, no. There is a situation that— Trouble in Camelot? A trouble in Camelot. There is. Um, <laughs> she technically works with the FIA through her job with the F1 Academy, which the FIA is not necessarily supposed to share information with the drivers and team principals, like private information. So the other team principals have now created some sort of petition or, or investigation into the fact that they think that he is getting secretive information that is not being shared with the rest of the drivers. Who knows the extent of oh this, but God. there is a a problem that is arising and the other principles, but as we know, principles are just complaining about anything that they're not getting. So also, who knows the validity of this, but... The info he's getting is not, not helping. So, they should no, pray he working, never yeah. pulls off of the teat of this info yeah. because it's not yielding anything. Yeah, it's not helping at all. <laughs> yeah, if it wasn't for Lewis on that team, they would have been in fifth place probably, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then a couple Vegas facts that were interesting. I saw a video yesterday which was similar to our experience but a little different of Paris Hilton, I guess, had a big event. Okay. And she was walking into the event, gets into the event, and looks around and almost no one is at the event. And she's like, mm. you can see in the video the moment that she's like, what the fuck? Oh. No one is here. So comforting. <laughs> it was so comforting to see <laughs> and that everyone is we, having we a should, similar scenario. We should try to find the one performer who had a good show during that. I think it was because- DJs. That's it. DJs at night at a huge club. Okay. The DJs that were already there Anyway, <laughs> yeah, residencies yeah. that right in their own fan base. You two and the DJs. We yeah. were praying for no audience after about four minutes into our show. So <laughs> it's we hard would, to know which we is would worse. Have gladly mm-hmm. walked into an empty room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then MGM Resorts announced this week that the, that weekend in Vegas was their highest grossing weekend in history. That's comforting. That mm-hmm. that counters my my fear of a bubble. 
Yeah. Also, when we were there, we looked the MGM like passes. They were like the most amazing seats right along that straight. I saw a couple reports that said Vegas did really well. Okay. Like $1.3 billion in revenue for the city. Where was everybody? I, just, I still am confused because it did not look area. like a record-setting weekend. I've been to Vegas when it was much busier than I that. I think what was deceiving is it, everything was so spread out. Like we're, like if you go for a fight, let's say, yeah. well, the fight's at one space. Everyone's in that one hotel or that area. But the track was so spread out. It forced people to stay all the way down at you know MGM or all the way at the wind. Like everyone yeah. was spread out and kind of stayed in their little spot because maybe their seats were there. They're tickets, their club, whatever. Right. I think everyone just spread out. Yeah. We walked to the restaurant, which was so far, which put a lot of miles. So when we walked around the next day, I thought it wouldn't even be close to that. But we were just walking around the track to try to get these tickets that we had to pick up from McLaren. And we walked the same amount of miles. And it was just uh, around the track area, which was an obscene amount of Just to refresh walking. people's memory, 9.5 miles yeah. from 6 p.m. to 1 a.m. So if you're doing that <laughs> and then you wake up, you're probably skipping dinners. You're not doing much. Like, I think you're just there for the race. It's just the, listen, we were going to some of the best restaurants in Vegas, and they were empty. Mm-hmm. That was empty. very confusing. Completely empty. empty. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, we kept stressing about reservations, and we got there, and yeah, it was empty. Yeah, yep. it is weird. Curious. Probably also a different Vegas crowd. Like, normally everyone goes to Vegas and does the same thing. They go to dinner. They go out to a club. This might have thrown people. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. But I have seen a lot of reports that they did really well. Yeah. That's, that's it for the pulp. pulp. That's the pulp. Okay, wonderful. I'd say the most long-awaited zaddy has got to be Jethro. Haven't you been sitting? Hasn't one been getting dusty under your purview for some time? No. Zaddy's a nightmare now, Dax. I don't know if you've tried to research one, but it's very difficult. All of the juicy ones that could be juicy, like Perez's father is a prominent politician in Mexico and maybe running for president. There's a lot of stuff that could be great about him, but it's almost impossible to find anything out. So it's tricky. So instead, I have done the daddy of the paddock, who is Martin Brundle, because we talk about him all the time. We love his interviews. We think he's a legend. We want to interview him ourselves. And we don't know that much about him. So I thought I'd do a quick history of Martin, if that's okay with you. I love the idea of that. Yeah. Okay. So he was born June the 1st, 1959. So he's 64 years old, which I was surprised at. Does that sound right to you? I think he looks about 64. Do you think he's younger or older? Yeah. I just think he's so full of energy and peppy. And I don't know. I just thought he was a bit younger than that. He's spry, but again, watching that Braun doc, he was already in his, you know, 50s yeah, there. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. He's got quite a cool story because he's obviously from that generation when things were a bit different. So at five years old, so basically he's from Kings Lynn, uh, which is in the east of um, England, Norfolk. Uh, his dad uh, um, did rallying and owned garages, so he was brought up in that sort of motoring world. At five years old, he was already going on road tests with customer cars that the garage had fixed. He would steer the car while one of the mechanics, a guy called Stan Rolf, would operate the pedals. So he was already out on the roads <laughs> driving, steering cars as a five-year-old that his dad had fixed up. Um By the age of seven, he and his brother Robin had adopted a black Austin A35, which is like a little old noddy car. Do you have noddy in America? No. The cartoon character. Okay, it's like a little, not quite a bubble car, but a little round 
um, weird looking thing, tiny little thing. So he would rag that around a local field at the age of seven. He said he could reach the pedals, but he had to look through the steering wheel to uh-huh, see through the yeah. windscreen. I have a lot so of video he, of Lincoln driving her razor when she was four the, and a half. Yeah. And she can only see between the sliver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, his story actually reminds me more of a like NASCAR upbringing than mm. F1 in some ways because he went from there, by the age of 12, he was racing a home-built Ford Anglia, which is like a saloon car, like a really average saloon car, would have been the biggest selling car in Britain, in grass tracking, which is almost like banger racing, basically. Oh. So, And then he progressed to the short ovals. Really quick, uh, karting makes sense because, I mean, I don't know why. Uh, it's it's so arbitrary to go like, yeah, kids should race a go-kart, but not a full-size car. I, I recognize that. But it is weird that you can be have no road license and be fully immersed in a race scene in a saloon car, in a real car. Yeah, well, I mean, grass tracking is back then it would have been some blokes in a field racing around uh, okay. a track. So it wouldn't have been that high level. But yeah, he he wasn't from tons of money. So he didn't do the karting route. And, and he actually never did the karting. So he went from that to uh, short track hot rod racing, which is on the dirt oval, which mm. again is like a NASCAR upbringing in a lot of ways. I didn't even know you guys um, had flat track stuff in England. We have a few, not loads, but he lived out in the country. Like Norfolk is... Like, if you were being rude, we would always joke about people in the fens of Norfolk having webbed hands and webbed feet and marrying their sisters and stuff. But <laughs> sure, it's, sure. It's, it's, Our terrible it's southern that, stereotypes. It's that, it's that part of the world. But then at 17, him and his dad bought a pair of Toyota Salicas, or Salicas, you would call them, right? Salicas. Salicas. Yeah. Would you yeah. call them a Salica? Salica. Yeah, it's so like exotic. a Celine bag. It is. It's yeah. like Celine. They bought two. His dad prepared his one for rallying, went rallying, and he went into circuit racing, into sort of touring car stuff, so tin top racing, and did really well. Didn't win championships or anything, but he was just a guy on his own, so that wasn't going to happen. That led him to Formula Ford. So the very first time he got out of a big car and got into like a proper little car, Formula Ford, which you guys know is basically the starting route for everyone who went to F1 and Senna came over from Brazil to do British Formula Ford, etc. But he still carried on racing saloon cars as well. So he had he had both things going, um, which is pretty cool. So in 82, he stepped up to British Formula 3. And in 83, he had sort of his career-defining situation, which is where he had a head-to-head battle throughout the whole season with some Brazilian dude called Ayrton Senna. Nuh-uh. Some random. In wow. Formula 3, did you say, or two? Yeah, British Formula 3. So Senna was the next big thing. Everyone knew it. And Brundle was... English guy, didn't have tons of backing. People knew he was good, uh, but it had not a particularly brilliant year in 82. So there wasn't huge expectation for them to have this huge battle. It started off predictably Senna won the first nine races on the bounce and Brundle was second in eight of them. So he was close, but he was getting beaten. Um, But then at Silverstone, they did a joint British and European race. And the European race had different tyres. Instead of Avons, they were running something else. Senna and Brundle, because they were doing so well in the championship, decided to switch to score European points, which meant they put these different tyres on. And they suited Brundle brilliantly. And he went off and he absolutely killed Senna to the point that Senna crashed trying to keep up with him. So psychologically, he basically got into Senna's head. Brundle, get it, Brundle. That's incredible. Yeah, which is pretty cool, isn't yeah. it? I mean, Senna's like the greatest ever, according to a lot of people. And he, he got in got in his head. Brundle won six of the next eight races. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, beating Senna. Um, and Senna was 
losing his mind. He was saying the system was rigged, <laughs> how the, they wanted the Brits to win. He was crashing. He was making mistakes. So he sort of lost the plot. Um, and they arrived at the final race and Brundle had a one-point lead to win the championship. At the same time, behind the scenes, Eddie Jordan, was he in the Braun documentary, Eddie Jordan? I don't know, but that name sounds familiar. He, so he was a team owner in F1, but he actually started, he was a real chancer, great guy, uh, Irish guy. He's on TV coverage sometimes. And he was running Brundle in F3. Um, and at the same time this was all going on, basically there was a tragedy just before the final race where the race truck was coming back from Austria, Eddie Jordan's race truck with their cars in it, and it crashed down into a ravine, basically. So the cars were destroyed, and Brundle's chief, me- chief mechanic, a guy called Rob Bowden, died. Oh, so boy. it was like the whole God, team. Even the mechanics were getting wiped out back then. I mean, yeah, it was, exactly. These are like mountaineers in the Everest days. It's, yeah. not, it's nuts. Yeah, it was um, It was crazy. And then basically just before the last race, this this he still feels quite bitter about it, I think. The company who built the race cars, Ralt, upgraded both Senna's car and Brundle's car but they gave them different things. They gave Brundle this new pushrod suspension system and they gave Senna new side pods and better aero, basically. And on that track, it was was all about aero. And basically Senna won the the race, Brundle was third and he won the championship. So his great story of beating Senna in basically similar cars uh, never quite happened. He started F1 in 84 for Tyrrell. You might not know the name, but they later became BAR in 1998, then Honda, then Braun, and Mm. are now basically Mercedes. So it was that history. Um, He did brilliantly first time, finished fifth on his debut at Brazil. Wow. um, Despite, yeah, despite they were running normal normally aspirated engines, V8 engines, where the real power now was from turbos. This was the turbo era. So it was the highest placed um, non-turbo car, basically. You couldn't win if you didn't have a turbo, but he did He did really well. And there was loads of American races, which is weird. So he was second in Detroit, and then he crashed and broke both his ankles in Dallas. So did oh, you know there was an F1 race in Dallas? I had no idea either. I know that Detroit hosts the uh, Indy Grand Prix on Belle Isle, but I didn't know they did Formula One ever. Yeah, they had Formula One, and then Dallas, there was one as well. Um, then in 88, he went over to sports cars because basically there was no competitive F1 car for him. He won the World Sports Car Championship with TWR, Jaguar, and the Daytona 24-hour. And he also did a one-off drive for Williams in the Belgium Grand Prix, repa- replacing Nigel Mansell and finished seventh. So mm. he's a proper driver, yeah. is what I'm saying. But he only did four years in F1. 84 he came back. Oh, he came, he came back. back. So he did 84 to 87, yeah. And then he came back in 89 for Brabham. Then he disappeared again for 1990 and for Jaguar, did World Endurance Championship effectively. This was an era called Group C Racing, which was all the big manufacturers. The cars were great. F1 were actually worried about sports car racing overtaking them from a popularity point of view. And the cars were fast. They were pretty much as fast as an F1 car. Um and he won the Le Mans 24 hour in 1990 for wow. Jaguar. Hmm. Then he was back in F1 for 91. Car wasn't great. And 92, he finally had a good car, which was a Benetton. But sadly for him, his teammate was a dude called Michael Schumacher. Oh, boy. Plagued by the <laughs> so, greats. But he ran into all the greats. So when he was doing touring car racing, he actually shared, um, he was teammates with Sterling Moss, bizarrely yeah. Sterling Moss, who was like, 
Grand Prix racer in the 50s and 60s, carried on and did a few, came out of retirement, did a few British touring car races. Then he uh, raced Senna, obviously, and then he was teammates with Schumacher. So, I mean, this is where that insight comes from that he has. He's been around the very best drivers there's, there's ever been, basically. He's almost like the boxer Frazier, who fought Ali twice, fought Foreman, like had epic battles, didn't go down in the history books as either guys, but gave the best fights those mm-hmm. fighters ever had. Yeah, and he, and he did well against Schumacher. I mean, he didn't beat Schumacher, but there were days he did, you know, and to beat Schumacher, even in his early days of F1, was was pretty impressive. Um, he raced for Ligier after that, then McLaren, um, where I think he came second at one point. He did pretty well. Um, but again, he was up against Mika Hakkinen, who was another guy who ended up being Schumacher's biggest rival. So these great drivers. Um and then finally, he ended up back at Jordan, who now had gone from an F3 owner to an F1 owner. Um, and that team is now Aston Martin, basically. So all yeah. these things come around. Um, and then he joined uh, British broadcaster ITV as a commentator in 97. So good, he moved when the BBC got the rights in 2009 and then Sky for 2012. And he invented the grid walk and is basically a legend. I'll say, I'll say. Boy, time means everything in life, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and you see it when he does his interviews like trackside. It is so great. And his knowledge is just. You left out his best quote of all time as well, talking to Horner. <laughs> About, yeah, Shame, shame you, you weren't quick enough for F1. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Monica wants you to FaceTime her. She said it's important. Hi, guys. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. <laughs> I tried calling all of you. We are um, recording an episode. A- I know, I know, but I thought it, so are we. Yeah, I'm just only saying why we didn't see your call. Yeah, I know. I had to get Rob. <laughs> I had to involve Rob. Yeah, he did a good um, job. Good good job, Wobby. Good job, Wobby. Uh, we <laughs> we want to do a little crossover because we have a really important question and and there's now four boys together so we could ask. Oh, okay. Yes. So you timed this perfectly. Why? How do we say it without it being rude? Like, okay. Any question with this much lead up is going to be good. <laughs> We're talking about men peeing. Yeah. And like why you guys sometimes don't close the door and is it a power move when you're with a woman and not someone you like know really, really well, uh, but not closing the door or just like walking four steps to pee outside in front of the woman instead of going into a bathroom. Is it just like pure efficiency or is it a, a little bit of a power move or Or is there no thinking behind it? There's no thinking. It's efficiency. Like, we don't have to disrobe and sit down and be in a compromised position to pee. We could just literally stand up, unzip, pee. Shutting the door takes too much time. For us, like, the door thing for me is, I I know it very well, because there's often people in our house, as you know, Monica. So... I'm going to be in and out of there in like 26 seconds. So closing and opening the door, it's like, oh, I can get this done before I need to do that. It's just one step I don't want to take. And just you, like the- you're, you're hidden, too, because you're facing into the toilet versus when you sit down, you're facing out. Exposed. Yeah, you can't really do that. Um, right. But we're facing but in. But what about outside? Outside, you guys are exposed. Yeah, you're and kind I of facing a bush. Him. Yeah, we don't face you guys when we pee outside. We face a bush or a tree. Or the swimming pool. It is not. I can tell you this. Two things. 
One, it 100% is not a power move at all. There's no, like, I'm peeing on a tree like a dog. <laughs> um, but... Speak for yourself. There 100% is the 3% in your mind fantasy that somehow the woman's going to be so intrigued by the notion that your penis is out that maybe she'll get excited and want to come <laughs> see and or participate. I knew, I knew it, too. I knew it. Yep. Yeah, so there is a perviness part to it, but not a powerness part to it. I don't ever pee to entice someone, I don't think. Well, you don't do it, too. I'm more saying yeah. you're there. Someone's close, your your dong's out, and you think, well, I'm a guy. If there was boobs out around the corner, I'd be intrigued. I think you might be right, 3%. That's accurate. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah. You're it's never, like, you're hopeful at all times someone might get horny right, for you. Right. Yeah. Well, that's that's 100% of the time. But peeing, <laughs> it's only 3% of me peeing. And is Jethro there? Because I want to know if this is American. It is slightly American. When I started working for the first time in the U.S. and going on shoots... I was surprised how near men would choose to pee to the area we were shooting. Boy, if anyone exemplified that, it was me on Top Gear, no, Jethro? Yeah, yeah. I had to pee yeah, because, nonstop. Because, that, I mean, I pee a lot as well, but Dax opens the door and then pees right next to the car that you're filming. That's true. Whereas I think, I think the Brits would generally walk at least 15 paces <laughs> Okay, so so not still not saying asking anyone is there a is there a restroom? No, well we don't need a restroom. No, you you have to know in it, America has so many wildlife restrooms. In the UK, you can go a thousand miles and not see a toilet, so you you have no choice. I missed something. What what, what did Liz say? If she or a woman was around a bunch of men and like took walked 15 paces and then dropped their crouched down and peed is that a turn on absolutely not i said i'm sure Big absolutely not My you, man says absolutely not i say a thousand percent charlie yeah anytime someone's just naked <laughs> dropping trowel in the middle of a field yeah it shows, a little it shows you like down to party and you're playful it's and you're not intrigue. you're not uptight I think it's badass that you do that. Okay, I think we got to vote like, for badass. There would be like, that's a gangster move. You're just If pissing. you took a shit, I would be like, let's get married. Yeah. If you oh. took a shit in the woods 15 <laughs> feet from a bunch of guys, I'd be like, this. I need to find a ring store. I don't know if I'd say it's a, a turn on every time, but it's intriguing. It's yeah, very okay, intriguing. Charlie said maybe not a turn on every time, but but intriguing. And very I think intriguing. minimally we could all agree yeah. to that. How often for Matt. does that happen? Yeah, but that's like, for me, that's so, it's just like, this is a cool girl. Like, it's it feels very, that feels so, I hate you guys. Oh, um, wow, wow, wow. Okay, like, so. it's like, oh, you're falling for this very, very dumb trap of like, oh, that's a cool girl because they'll pee in front of you. No, no, I said take a dump. That's like, now you're dealing with a unicorn. Okay. Yeah. Well, we okay, got to find well, out more I mean, about you, this gal who poops. Our, our whole existence is falling into dumb traps of women. Isn't that the point of being a man? <laughs> okay, what if she pees and she... Sorry, one last one. But yeah, but I have one. What if she pees at your house and leaves the door open? Oh, I love it. Love it. Love cool. it. Yeah, Guys, you love, love it, Charlie. Yeah, Matt. Well, weirdly now, Matt loves that. So what? Outdoors, it's oh. a no go. No, but no, it's not a. It's just not a sexual thing for me. It's not a sexual. I'm not going to be turned on if you, you pee outside, but I'm going to be impressed that you just do it. You just don't give a shit. Yeah. You're just like uh, there's a I confidence. There's pee. a confidence. Yeah. There's a knowing oneself. There's a there's a lot being relayed. It's confidence. I am reverse engineering this gal. 
Likes being naked. Up for everything. Yeah. Like, like oh, the sky's the limit. I this know, isn't going to be customary. That's annoying to me. Okay, that's fair. You're, I guess. Okay. Don't um, you want, aren't you looking for clues that your part, your potential sexual partner doesn't have a lot of hangups and shyness and that it's going to be a playful, exploratory, boundless experience? <laughs> aren't we all looking for those clues? It's a false clue. It's a clue that she's like trying to to get. It, I don't, you got to make it that she's I not trying like to do. But yeah, hold on, exactly. Monica. She's you, trying you, to be like the boys. To be fair to her, you have to say that it's not a performance for her. It's who she is. And also, I think it goes in lines with someone that would be, I don't know, walking around naked after a shower versus throwing a towel on and a robe and being covered. Like, it's just someone's individual behavior and comfort level. I don't think yeah. they're trying to prove a point by peeing, but there's just some people that will leave the door open. They'll also walk around naked. They're more free. And then there's people that won't. They'll always shut the door yeah. no matter what. That's true. I guess it depends on the timeline of the relationship. Too. Like for me, if someone's doing this on date one or not even a date, that's a clue to me that they're, yes, trying to be one of the boys or trying to get, like, they're doing something explicit. But if it's, like, someone you've been dating, that's a different thing. Okay, one last question, then I'll, I will let you guys talk about cars. Do you think it's not masculine to close the door? No, I sit down and pee sometimes. Oh, wow. For men, for men. Yeah. 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 Wow. Because wow. you're tired? Yeah, I want a break. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I sit down at night exclusively now. I, I only oh, my learned, gosh. I only learned what? this, like, a few, a few Jethro's years. Jethro's appalled at, like, me, just so you girls know what's um, where we're at. We're a few 50, years 50, ago, I saw a friend sitting down to pee, and I was like, what? You sit down to pee? And he's like, yeah, it's so much more comfortable. And then I started doing it at night because I want to stay as asleep as right. I can when I pee. And now I've started doing it. Sometimes, <laughs> just like Charlie, I'm lazy. So I'm like, I'm going to sit down. No, and no, like, I'm not lazy. I just want to break. I just started to brush my teeth while I sit down and pee, too. Don't it's still two birds with one stone. I just need a break sometimes. <laughs> That's being lazy. Um. Well, I love that this is, we now know this is an option. We should probably always record at the same time so that we can have crossovers. <laughs> this is pretty fun. We love you yeah, guys. Okay, love you. Bye. Bye. Oh, fun. What a fun detour. So should we talk about what drivers sit down to pee or stand up to pee? You're telling me that with all the times you pee in the middle of the night, you don't want to just sit down and stay somewhat asleep? I, I never pee in the middle of the night. And when I do, I try to not even open my and eyes. And you can keep the lights off. You don't have to turn a light on to aim. That's all fair. And I, I think there's merit to what you're saying. I have this weird superstition that I get more of the pee out if I'm standing. I think that's not even, I think that's <laughs> I don't think that's, okay, I great. Think that's so I can too. feel the difference. Yeah. Like if I sit down to pee and I pee, I, I swear 10 minutes later, I still have a ton of pee. Whereas if I stand and I got a whole ritual, I'll even rub my stomach trying to push it out because like, I don't want to wake up again. Oh. Like Two, I, it's an like, obsession of mine to get to stop waking up in the middle of the night, and that feels um, counterproductive. How many times do you pee in a night, Dax? Because I oh. I pee at least twice, probably three times, what? and always have. Yeah, a great night is once, and then like the night after we went to Vegas for the Sphere, I peed probably four oh, plus yeah. times. Wow. I lost annoying. six pounds in the middle of the night from that was how much liquid I peed out. I pee in the middle of the night once every six months. Oh, you're wow. so young and lucky. Um, every Enjoy. Enjoy. I think I would rather die than wake up. I've always done it, though. Even when I was like 20 or something, I always peed in the night. Mm. It's just oh. a thing. Oh, so playful. I guess if you were a girl, I would love it. 
I just said I'd love it. Plus, you can fit in one of those 20 a month when you get back to bed. And <laughs> what an animal. Your, your wife's asleep. <laughs> now, back to the light on. I don't have to take the light. I don't have to put the light on because I have that tiny little light in my toilet because I have that yeah. brundle seat. Uh, so all night long, there's a little LED blue yeah, light. Yeah, the brundle the, seat? The brundle. The Martin Brundle oh, wow. Brundle seat. He have should you, have his own line yeah. of yeah. toilets. Well, Toto yeah. has his Toto, own. Toto, Toto, you're always being on Toto. Yeah, fuck. Um, have you tried it. going in the sauna without water before you go to bed? Never. Like sweating out every little oh. bit. That's a, probably a good really move. But then dehydrating I, yourself. Another obsession is being dehydrated. So I'm like, I'm, I'm juggling two opposing, conflicting virtues like liberty and equality. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm the same. I hate to be dehydrated, so it's it's a real balance. It's, it's not worth a balance. headache. Like I'm not willing to have a headache over peeing yeah. out all the night. I've been doing it a couple weeks, sauna at night, sweating as much as I can, no water, oh, wow. so that I can be really light in the morning. Ah, and do you are you paying any price for that? Do you have any headaches or no? Okay, well that's good to know. Maybe I'll try it. You can sweat out like three pounds in that sauna. Oh, there's a. It looks like a gallon of water has been poured on the ground when yeah. I'm done. Yeah. Um, well, that was tasty, Jethro. Oh, we oh, very much appreciate job. the Brundle. I think we have time for another Zaddy, and then I'll do the sponsors. Yeah, mine's yeah. quick. Okay. Um, we're running out of Zaddies. But um, I looked up Fernando Alonso. Great. Um, who was born to a working-class family. His father was Jose Luis Alonso, and they're from uh, northern Spain. But his father was a mechanic at a— a uh, mine shaft explosives factory. Whoa. Which is kind of interesting and maybe explains some of his uh, volatility. Yeah, his aggression and kind of <laughs> combustibility. Combustibility. Ah. Um, so they didn't have a ton of money. And uh, his dad was also a like raced carts a little bit as an amateur. Nothing didn't get very far, but had done a little bit. And he built a cart actually for Alonzo's um, sister. Oh. And she was not into it. So he reconfigured it for Alonzo when he was three years old. Three. And a lot of the same things like had to adjust the pedals up and kind of makeshift little blocks to to get it to fit him. Um, and so that's kind of when he got started as three years old. Uh, little Fernando raced around this go-kart. Um, but uh, another interesting thing was they didn't have a ton of money to buy extra stuff like rain tires. Yeah. So he learned even from a kid to race around on slicks in the in the wet. In the wet. Um, and then, yeah, his dad, kind of like a lot of these kids, like his dad did everything. He was an accountant, the manager, mechanic, until he was like 9 or 10. He started to get some money from sponsorships to kind of pay for some of that stuff. But even as a kid, Alonzo was like a mechanic for some of the other kids to make some extra money. Oh, he track. himself? Yeah. Oh, wow. So, like, they kind of did that as a little side hustle to make money on track. And By the way, that's the ultimate competitive edge. If you're nine and you know these other kids don't know how to put a new piston in, yeah. and you do, you're like, they're ch children and I'm a man. Yeah. And you can sabotage their cars as well. <laughs> Yes, yes, you could, you could. <laughs> Which I'm sure he did. Put a tiny restrictor plate between the carburetor and the motor. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. one little screw to leave out. <laughs> I was watching a clip of Instagram, and I guess Dale Earnhardt Jr. has a podcast, and he was interviewing another legendary driver from NASCAR who is now retired, and he said, you're past the, the statute of limitations. How did you cheat? The whole topic was like, how did everyone cheats. What was your biggest cheat? And he said they had rigged up the intake that sits on top of the cylinder heads. 
because in NASCAR, there's all these restrictor plates that, you know, basically control how much oxygen fuel is going to get into there. And they had built the intake to be on sliders so that under high revs, the intake would separate from the block and let way more oxygen in bypassing this restrictor plate. So when they got in and they tore it down, no one would know. Because it would settle And that down. they caused this. Now there's like a, a, a weird seal around those wow. in response to this cheat that they had had. But he said it made them you know, the hugest com uh, advantage, competitive advantage. That's a good one. Like, how do you cheat? There's got to be so many little. If yes, we hear about cheats. these ones, you know, if we hear about some of them, just imagine the little things are doing for weight or for. The last big know. scandal, right, Jethro, is like right before we got into it, the year we got into it, Ferrari was doing something really weird with their fuel and had been doing it for like eight or nine races. And it was all behind closed doors and there were penalties, but they never really said what it was. No, they never did. They were, they were getting a ton of power from their car and it seemed to burn a lot of oil. There was a lot of weird stuff going on. And then there was a behind closed doors deal done between Ferrari and the FIA, which no one ever really knew what it meant. But the next year, Ferrari went from having probably the best engine to by far the worst. Like they were way off, like literally way off. They're nowhere near the power. So yeah, there was definitely cheating. But yeah. it's gone on forever. The the Brundle thing, he used to drive for TWR. He made the Jaguar Le Mans cars, but also then went on and, and ran Benetton for a, for a while, a guy called Tom Walkinshaw. And he was famous for always cheating. Or not, he was just super competitive, but to the point where they were racing, I think it was a Jaguar... Um, saloon car in one of the championships and one day they decided to measure them and found out he'd basically built like a nine-tenth scale car oh, 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 so it was <laughs> so it was almost like close <laughs> enough that it looked like the car wow. to the naked eye but he'd built an entire new body shell in a smaller scale in order to save weight and make the car more aerodynamic. So huh. the extremes people have gone to over the years. Oh, that's it. wonderful. Even like a refueling, there was a little bit of cheating with that. When Jos Verstappen's car went on flames, they were like jimmying something on the inside to make it refuel quicker, which is why his car went up in flames. And so mm. it's always been there. Little, little tweaks. Not cheating, you're not trying. No. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, um, who do you have? I got Helmut Marco, and we'll go through that one real quick. Okay, great. So Helmut Marco, the first and foremost thing, and I've thought about this, and I looked so deep on the internet, everything, because I want to know about his parents. His wealth is said to be $250 million. Helmet? Yeah, I saw a bunch of other things, and that was the highest valuation, so I just went with it. Yeah, I always um, picked the highest. He did race in Formula One for two years. He was not successful. He got no championship points. He then did go on to race 24 Hours of Le Mans and won. Oh, um, so he, he did, did well yeah. there. And then started the whole team, like, as we know now. He has a doctorate in law, and he also owns two hotels in Graz, Austria, oh. the Schlossenberg Hotel and the Augarten <laughs> Hotel. Mm. I'm saying them wrong. And then most Interestingly enough, at the end, which I had no idea. You know who likes staying at the Schlossinger is Max. <laughs> yep. Proper yeah. sloshed at the Schlossinger. Yeah. In 1972, his F1 career ended. There was a crash, and there was, I think, a small part from another car or a stone that went through his helmet, and he is partially or fully blind in one of his eyes. That's what's which, preventing him to see the map yeah, as well so as he needs to. I had no idea that that was... A thing. That yeah. was uh, pretty amazing. I'm not shocked people were getting shit flung into their eyes. No. Uh, no. I, that's still something I think about. Every time there's an incident in front of somebody and there's just debris in the air scattered, yeah. you realize, like, well, the halo doesn't give a fuck about 
a projectile coming well, towards that the helmet. one. I think it was Brazil where the tire flew up yeah. and smashed Landed Danny's on Ricardo's wing. car. Mm-hmm. What if that was his head? Yeah. Like that big yeah. old tire yeah. 50 feet in the air coming Oof. down. Scary. Okay, we did a couple sponsors this year, looked into these obscure brand names we see on cars, and they were pretty fun. Uh, but I decided to go through the full history of Formula One to talk about some of the crazier ones that were out there. I'm going to attempt to do these in order of insanity. Mission Winnow appeared prominently mm-hmm. on the tail fins of the Ferrari cars at the start of the 2019 season. The brand was featured in one of the most easily spotted areas of Formula One Grand Prix, but the mission of the company itself is quite hazy. The company's homepage tells visitors that Mission Winnow is committed to constant improvement and is a change lab focused on reframing conversations, sparking open debate. Uh, Jalopnik reported on the brand with a bit more clarity, noting that uh, Mission Winnow is essentially a front for Philip Morris International. More specifically, it acts as a stand-in for the conglomerate's most notable subsidy, Marlboro. So what's fascinating about this is I think the logo of Mission Window was the Marlboro logo just on its side, uh-huh. which oh. is, kind of seems crazy. Just a um, sneaky way in. Yeah, isn't that incredible? And the brand's nameplate on the tail uh, replicated the logo. There was another uh, tobacco-adjacent sponsor on McLaren. Love. It was a vape company. Oh, okay. Um, Sugar Book is a dating connection site where older financially endowed men can meet younger women. Oh, sugar daddies. Sure. Sugar Book is the name of the dating app. And Donut Media reports that Sugar Book was one of the 2018 title sponsors of the Singapore Grand Prix. Sugar Sugar Daddy's a big thing in Singapore? Apparently. uh, Any country where it costs $500,000 to register an E-Class Mercedes... Makes me think there are sugar daddies mm. present. Another great one is uh, ABBA. The band. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, Penthouse was a sponsor. That's the one I had. Penthouse In and Durex. Durex. Yeah. Durex, Durex condoms. Xena oh. Warrior Princess. What? That was driven by Jos Verstappen. Oh, really? But yeah. Zena. Uh, wow. A woman that could dismantle him limb from limb if he attempted to T-bone her in an intersection. <laughs> but, uh... This one, I'll cut to the one that just really takes the cake. It's unimaginable. The Williams FW07 had Bin Laden sponsor stickers. The logo did refer to the Bin Laden family, but had nothing to do with Osama himself. Rather, they advertised the Saudi Bin Laden Group construction company run at the time by some of the sons of the founder, Mohammed Bin Laden, a man who fathered 52 children, including Osama. But just 52. what could be crazier than a big Bin Laden sticker How many wives? post 9-11? How many wives did he have? I hope a ton, because <laughs> if any one woman had more than 10, well, let's just say the least it could have been is five women, each having 10 kids. 10, yeah. But I bet it was 20 women averaging 2.5. How many kids? 52 kids. 11 wives. 55 wives. 11 wives. 11 wives, 52 children. Okay, so they were busy. They all had roughly five. I want to revisit the Durex and the penthouse. Yes, please. So the Durex caused them to not air a race on BBC. Like there was some sort of issue. Yeah, it was the um, Brands Hatch Race of Champions. It was the Surtees team. And they just said, 
we won't air it if you're going to keep that design. And they kept it. And they didn't air that race. A condom, like, well, it's, it's a, a safety. Thing. It's a health item. It's very interesting. Yeah. Like, well, what were the it, Brits saying? It was also in... Don't promote safe sex? 76. So, yeah, I think anything related yeah, to sex. Yeah, they're not trying to promote yeah. sex at all. Yeah. And then Religious the penthouse one that's... had a penthouse playmate on the side, like, lying <laughs> down as their... That was the design. The logo. Which is crazy. Yeah. That'd be very distracting for some drivers. Like you're driving by a car and it's a penthouse playmate just well, especially lying all these on the drivers side of the young car. Men. Yeah. You're 18 years old. And it wasn't just a little sticker. It was the whole thing. Yeah. It was insane. Wow. They should bring that back. It they can be should. for guys if we want to make it more e- equal. It's just Charles like in like some oh. small little underwear in the, in side the famous of car. Burt Reynolds <laughs> pose on a bare <laughs> skin rug with his helmet over his junk. Helmet's over the junk, but the visor's up. So oh. if you like, you can try to look super close and maybe see <laughs> yeah. some equipment. Mm. <laughs> well, those are the crazy sponsors. Do you have any other ones? Um, oh, oh, did I say ABBA? Well, the thing I left out about ABBA, which is great, is ABBA was sponsoring it because their drummer, Slim Borgud, had entered the sport in, in 1981. So he was the drummer in ABBA before he was in F1. He didn't do yes, well I, in yes, F1, I remember but the, the ABBA story. drummer yeah. was in F1 and then ABBA mm-hmm. sponsored the car. Yeah. He didn't do well. No. It was a short. That's incredible. Short. So maybe, maybe Taylor Swift for next year. She can uh, replace Checo. She That'd sponsors be a NASCAR. She team. does? Like it was in, I think, collaboration with Target or something, but she was on a NASCAR. <laughs> oh. Like a, like a right on the hood. Good for her. Yeah. They might have given her that so yeah. that people They might have paid in. her. Yes, exactly. It might that. be reverse sponsorship. Yeah. Yeah. It was an IndyCar. 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 Are you sure? Wild Look up NASCAR. <laughs> I got a, a weird one. Oh, great. Um, I was looking up like current sponsor, just what they were. And there's this one, Velocity Black. Have you heard of this? Mm-hmm. And their, their tagline is, we help high-performance people unlock the vast potential of their lives in the digital age. Welcome to Concierge Reimagined. So it's a weird app, and it's for wealthy people, and it's like an AI conversation app. Um, but it costs 3700 bucks a year. Okay. You have to be invited. So you have to, like, request an invite, uh-huh. and then you can pay to this thing. But that's a big uh, Aston Martin um, sponsor. And what do they do? They yeah, do re- do reservations and stuff it's or like tickets? like a personal assistant? Kind of, and it's like a like a— Concierge at a Four Seasons. Yeah, and it's all AI-driven. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. App. So it's kind of like a Raya yeah, for Raya. concierge service. you got to be fancy enough yes. to get yeah. invited. Um, did I have any others? I have a list of all the title sponsors and what they pay per year if we're interested in that. Oh, yeah, yeah I want to hear that. Um, so we'll start at the bottom. We have Duracell Williams. They're paying $6 million a year. Oh, that's cheap. They cheap get that whole cheap. Yeah. yeah. Cheap. Alphatari, um, paying for their own team, $15 million a year. And Alphatari is a Red Bull clothing line, which I didn't know till yeah. this year. Yeah. But weird. MoneyGram, Haas, $20 million per year. It's a... American yeah. Financial also, Services. Also, Alphatari clothes are so expensive. Rob had to buy, he was cold that night, and he had to buy a sweater. What was the one, the one you wanted to buy, how much was that? It was over $1,000. <laughs> over $1,000? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't have. It's couture. It was, it was really hidden, and I brought it up to the register. And Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. oh, wow. And it wasn't like, you know, you can understand if something seemed 1000 but It no. better have that Burberry no. print on it for me if I'm yeah. going to spend $1,000. Mm. My apologies to... Red Bull. We have Best Water Technologies, BWT. Oh, my oh, God. That's, that's what that's it stands for. Oh, wow. finally. Um, $25 million a year. 
Okay. Uh, Ramco, Aston Martin, thirty yeah. million. Stake, thirty-three million a year. Uh-huh. We have Shell at forty million dollars a year to Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Petronas, seventy-five million. Yeah, you got to pay for wow. that. Team. And the most was Oracle, Red Bull. What do you think? Uh, I said this in a few episodes ago. I want to say it's like one sixty for two years, so maybe eighty million a year. It's a hundred, hundred a year. Hundred a year. Wow. wow. Oh, Oracle. speaking of which, maybe we'll end on this. There was, and this is not from the FIA, but I don't know how they gave all these metrics they used to estimate the prize money that was paid out in 2024 or 2023, according to their analysis. Again, they don't have the real figures, but they did all those things. Uh, They said uh, Haas got 60 million, Alfa Romeo 69, Alfa Tari 78, Williams 87, Alpine 95 million, Aston Martin 104 million, McLaren 113, Ferrari 122 million, Mercedes 131, and Red Bull 140 million. Now, one maddening thing about this list, if you're OCD like me, is they all go up by $9 million, except for between seven and six Williams to Alpine. It, for whatever reason, goes up $8 million. So I'm very frustrated by this list, just a grievance. Mm. Huh. And if it's an estimation, make them all go up by nine. Or I don't ten. know why on it's, earth they would have said it's And the whole eight. thing every year, the whole year, they're talking about all these places are $10 million. Yeah. So let's just, let's just round up. But I am, I hope they're semi-right because, sure, they're all $10 million, but what's the base? Was 10th place $10 million? You know, was, was, does Red Bull get $80 million? So yep. to know that they get $140 million uh, is, is, that's quality info. I was very curious. I like about. that. Yeah, because then it seemed. Yeah, I mean, even the the gap from sixth to fifth is substantial, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of like there's your incentive. Yeah, forty four million dollar gap, and that makes it worth it because it's if it's ten million all the way up, then it's kind of like eh. yeah, yeah. So that was interesting. Okay, we will be back next Wednesday with more extraneous information about our favorite sport, Formula One, and all the drama. I'm sure there'll be more pulp that'll accumulate between now and then. Maybe uh, we'll have a more definitive answer on Checo, and things will evolve, and we'll cover them. So until then, I encourage everyone to push, 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 push.